0: It's the next man up, the next guy up. just got to jump in there and fill that spot and get to work. Starting quarterback goes up, goes out with an injury. The backup quarterback comes in, next man up. He's got to be ready to go and ready to play. That means the team has truly been working as a team, and everybody is ready and prepared to fill their role. Many businesses employ the same mindset. You have employees that do a job, but the company needs to be ready for whatever comes, and so good companies train other employees. They have other employees that are ready, and the next employee fills in. They're ready to go. If somebody can't show up to work, or if somebody quits or has to move or gets sick, it's the next employee up. Next man up philosophy. I don't know whether you know it or not, but in the New Testament, It is permeated with this approach to the church uh, that God does not just have one person. Uh, There is only one that can save us, Jesus Christ, only He can fulfill that role. But within His church, the Lord calls everyone to step up and to fulfill the ministry that He has for them. And the church is always preparing and training the next generation to let the sinners know of that generation that they need Jesus. And so the church from the earliest days has a next man up or next person up philosophy. Nowhere is that any clearer than in the book of Acts chapter 1. So go to Acts chapter 1 this morning and go to verse 15. And I want us to look this morning at a message entitled, Next Man Up, Next Person Up. We're going to see so we're looking here at the beginning of Acts, we're seeing as the church is uh, being birthed, and we're going to see in the next couple of weeks this momentous moment when that birth, uh, many would say, officially occurs, when the church is now officially there. Uh, we're sort of in a transition time this week. Uh, it's moving. Remember last week we saw Jesus ascended to heaven, and uh, those disciples that saw him ascend, they were to go back and prepare for the coming of the, the Holy Spirit and uh, to prepare to be the witnesses of what Jesus had done, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, and then his ascension, and the fact he was coming again. And so we're sort of in this in-between, in-between stage. And so let's look at what happens. The disciples have left. Uh, they've left and gone back, and they're praying. They're in a season of prayer and preparation for the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, that is going to come and to launch them out as the witnesses all over the world. And so they get together. Look at verse 15 and what happens. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. The disciples are together and they're praying. And and he said, and the number of names together were about 120. So this isn't just the 12 most intimate disciples or 11 because Judas is dead. It's not just the 11. uh, It's a bigger group of disciples. There's 120 of them uh, praying Together. I don't know. We probably got 120 or a few more in here today in this auditorium. So it would actually be a group pretty close to this size that was gathered together. And Peter stood up. What did he say, verse 16? He said, Men and brethren, this scripture must need to have been fulfilled. There's a passage in the Bible that had to be fulfilled. What was it? Must be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke before. He said there was a passage. A word that David gave, but it was a word that actually applies to what we just saw. Well, what is it? The Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spoke before concerning Judas. Judas the betrayer, the one that turned Jesus over to the authorities. He said, David said something about Judas, which was a guide to them that took Jesus. For he was, past tense, He was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. So Peter stands up and he says, Hey, we've just gone through this uh, climactic event where our Lord and Savior Jesus was crucified and he died. And uh, we just saw him come back again from the dead and ascend to heaven. (coughs) And we've been told that he's coming again, but we've got a mission to do until then. But there's one big elephant in the room, and that is Jesus especially called twelve, and one of them is no longer a part of the group. So You can imagine this be heavy on their mind. Judas, verse 17, was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry. But now this man, this man Jesus, purchased the field with the reward of iniquity, with that money that he got. He apparently, before he committed suicide, purchased a field, and uh, he fell headlong. Remember, Judas hung himself, and apparently at some point the rope that he hung himself uh, broke, and he fell. And when he fell, what happened? He fell headlong and burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. He fell down, and when he fell, he hit something, and all of his guts and his insides went everywhere. And that was the reward that Judas received. Verse 19, it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem. Everybody knew about it, that Jesus had been sold out by Judas and that Judas had died a tragic death. In so much as the field is called in their proper tongue, Al uh, which is to say the field of blood. Judas had received blood money. He had betrayed his friend and received blood money. And his reward for that blood money was to die a bloody death, a field of blood. There's lots of blood that has been shed in the history of the world. There is lots of blood that is being shed today. But there is only one person's blood that has ever been a part of the payment for your sin. And that is Jesus. And if you are glad for his blood, say amen. Many have died and spilt blood. And Judas dies and he spills blood. And so there's one that has fallen away. We see Judas. It is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therefor. And his bishopric or his pastorate or his office, his office let another take. He has abandoned The former ministry. He has left and he is no longer a part of this group. He has sold it out for something else. And so Peter stands up in the midst and he says it is time for another to step up and to take his place. And he appeals to Psalm 69 as a scripture for authority to do this act. So one has fallen away and that is Judas. So what do they do? Verse 21 Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness or set aside or authority given to to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So this means, right, now sometimes we get a little confused. We just think about the twelve. And that's rightfully so because the Bible, the Gospels, the four Gospels mainly focus on the 12. But this is clear. There are others that Jesus called who are part of the group. In fact, there were others who go all the way back who saw his baptism in the river that John did and apparently were a part of the ministry from that time forward. Now, the Bible isn't interested in giving us all the details about that. We don't know all the details. But well, that's important to keep in mind because sometimes we think, was well, you Jesus and the 12? Not true. Not true. There's a bigger group that's a part of this. But the twelve certainly have a degree of authority within the group uh, that is different than, than the larger body. But Peter says, we need another. And it needs to come from this group that has been a part of Jesus' ministry from the beginning. Verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John under the same day that he was taken up from us. needs to be somebody that had been there for the long haul of the ministry. Not a newbie, not a new guy. It's got to be somebody who's been there with the team, been there with the group. Had to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And so the group, we don't know exactly how they narrowed it down, but it says they appointed two. Joseph called uh, Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. So they narrowed it down to Justice and Matthias. And they prayed, so they took this seriously. In fact, you can see this whole thing is serious. Peter is appealing to the Word of God. He's basing this based upon what they know from Scripture, what he knew of the Old Testament. And they prayed. This is a very, very serious thing to them, what they're about to do. And so they got together, and they prayed, and they said, You, Lord, appealed to God. You, Lord, which know the hearts of all men, show whether of these two you have chosen. Which of these two have you chosen? And you read the Old Testament, and this is going to seem a little weird to us, but in the Old Testament there were times when they would choose that basically we would be the equivalent to us of throwing dice. They would, they would throw dice and whichever uh, colors, I guess it was, that would come up. That would be the one that, that they would say, all right, that's the one chosen for this task. But here's the thing that I want you to get confused on. In the Old Testament they do that, that's not some flippant thing. That's not some flippant activity. That's not something that they just do. In the Old Testament, it's just like it is here. They are seeking God's will. They are seeking his purpose. And they're trusting that God will show them through this act. So I don't want you to get confused on this and think, wow, I mean, they're just kind of throwing dice to see who's it's going to be. No. They are serious in a prayer meeting time. And they are prayed up. And they have sought God's uh, calling for who this is going to be to be a part of this group. They've asked him to bless it. And now they've recognized, two, and they're saying, Lord, we want your will to be done. Verse 24, they prayed and said, You, Lord, which know the hearts of all men, show whether of these two you have chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. That, I don't want to go to my place. I want to go to the Lord's place. I want to be in the Lord's presence in heaven. If you want that, say amen. I think when he said that, I think in that room, boy, that that some flags are going off. Whoa, Judas has received his place, and his place is a field of blood where he has died. And so they, verse 26, they gave forth their lots. And the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So Matthias, we begin with Judas, and Judas falls away, and then we end with Matthias, who steps up. Now, I want to skip ahead for just a minute, and we're going to dive in the sermon. So some people debate, did they make a mistake? Should Paul have been the one that was a part of this group? And I want to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says nothing about that. The Bible just says that Matthias was the one that was chosen, and then later Paul comes on the scene, and the Lord gives him in a special vision, and I probably lean towards this, I'm going to bracket this, I lean towards, no, they did the right thing, Matthias was right. When Paul comes on the scene, Paul is given a new charge and a new mission that is actually a little different than the twelve, because Paul is, is basically said, you're going to be an apostle to the Gentiles, you're going to be the one to move it even on further out. So I look at it, and some people say, well, they shouldn't have done what they did. Well, the Bible doesn't say that, so if that's said... Maybe that's right, but that's definitely an opinion. Because the Bible just says, this is what happened. And then it gets to Paul, and it just says, this is what happens. The Lord appoints Paul. So should Paul have been the one instead of Matthias? I I mean, if you think that or we debate that, that's something out here. That's not something the Bible shows us. So let's keep that clear. Now, there is a case to be made for that. Some people say, well, nothing, nothing else shows up about Matthias. Well, some of the other 12, nothing else shows up about them either. So I just look at this and what we know for sure based upon the Bible is that this is what happened. They got together and they prayed and they got prepared and Matthias was the one that was chosen. Later we will see Paul comes and with Paul something extraordinary, extraordinary occurs with Paul when this great vision from heaven comes and the Lord prepares Paul for a ministry that is just phenomenal. Phenomenal. So it's okay if you're here today and you think I disagree with you, Pastor. I think Paul actually should have been the guy. That's all right. We can disagree on that. That that's fine. But personally, I think Paul is set aside for a mission that is even a little different than what the twelve here are. Same, but it's also a little different. So I just want to say that, and we can we can discuss that after church and see what you think. Uh, but we'll get to Paul in a minute. What they do here, nonetheless, whatever occurs, what we have in this passage is Judas falls away and Matthias steps up. We begin with a picture of one who has left the ministry, but praise the Lord, we end not with the one who fell away, but we end with the one who has stepped up to fulfill what God has for this group. If you are glad that your salvation is not dependent upon anybody else and what they do, say amen. I mean, can you imagine some of the confusion in the group and some of the concern? Uh, There's a bigger group of disciples. And the twelve had the authority in a lot of ways, and they are the leaders of the group. And all of a sudden, one of the twelve is gone, and they're no longer there, and they're no longer in authority. They've fallen away, and you're asking yourself, how could this be? How could Judas, who I did ministry with, who I walked with, who I served with, how could it be that he has abandoned the faith? Is the ministry over? Is the calling null and void? Because this one has fallen from the faith. No doubt. These disciples have been through a traumatic set of events with the crucifixion of Jesus. No doubt their world has been rocked by Jesus rising from the dead. And no doubt they are still uh, somewhat dazed and confused by watching Jesus ascend to heaven and being told, go and prepare for my spirit that's going to fall upon you to be my witnesses. And no doubt in the midst of all of that, nagging in the background of some of the disciples' minds, of this larger group, and maybe even within the twelve, is the thought, what do we do now that Judas is no longer among our number? We see one falls away in our text, and we see one steps up. It's interesting to me who's preaching that little sermon or giving that little talk. It's the Apostle Peter. And it's very interesting to me that Peter is the one talking about Judas. Catch this. It's interesting to me that Peter is talking about Judas because Peter and Judas actually have a lot in common. In fact, Peter and Judas have a lot in common when it comes to the last last moments of Jesus before he is crucified. Now, all the disciples together abandoned the Lord, but two of them did it in what we might call proactive ways. Some of them apparently just fled. But Peter was asked, aren't you a servant of this one? Aren't you his disciples? And Peter didn't just leave, but Peter took it a step further with his own mouth, said, I don't know him. I'm not a part of this. I, I No, it's not me. I didn't walk with him. What are you talking about? I have no part with this guy. I don't know him. Peter and Judas, at the end of Jesus' life, are a lot alike in that they both abandon Jesus in very specific ways that we're told about. They both do that. But yet only one of them is a backslider, and the other, what I think is probably an apostate. Only one is a backslider. The other, it seems to me, is fully fallen, is fully turned from the grace of the Lord. Peter, unlike Judas, found, sought and found forgiveness and restoration. In Judas's story, there is no indication of restoration. There is, only, there is only the guilt that overwhelms him, and then he receives his word. Peter falls. Peter falls and denies. But Peter then sees the Lord and gets forgiveness for the sin that has occurred. At least according to the Bible text with Judas, there is no encounter like that. And so while Peter and Judas are a lot alike, There is one huge difference, at least according to the text, between the two of them. And this is it. Judas, to the best of our knowledge, did not receive the restoration. Peter received the forgiveness and the restoration of Jesus. If you are glad that Jesus can restore you when you have fallen, say amen. And so imagine, here is Peter, who had also denied the Lord, yet there is a key and fundamental difference between Peter and Judas, at least according to what we know, and that is that Peter found and heard and was given restoration and forgiveness. To some of you today, to all of us today, that is wonderful news, because there is not a person in this room who has not failed Jesus at some point in your life. In fact, can I take it a step further? I feel pretty strong that probably all of us in some way probably failed Jesus this week. Some of you, uh, it was by falling into pornography again. Some of you, it was by uh, turning to drugs or alcohol again. Some of you this week failed Jesus because he gave you an opportunity to share your faith and you did nothing with it. You had an opportunity with somebody to tell about Jesus and how great he is and you wasted the opportunity. Some of you failed Jesus this week because you had an opportunity to show love and grace to somebody and instead you ignored them. Whether it's big sin or little sin, it's my experience that a lot of us, a lot of times, we fail Jesus. But what I love about the story of Peter is we find that even when we fail, that Jesus is there ready and willing to gladly and joyfully restore us and to give us forgiveness for our sins. So today, are you like Judas? Are you here in this process of falling away that leads to destruction? Or today, are you going to be like a Peter? who, yes, you have failed the Lord, but you're in His presence and with His people today, then you can look back and realize that, that today is a day of restoration. Today is a day of forgiveness. So this text, this next man up is really interesting because Peter is the one who's overseeing all this He's the one who oversees the statement that Jesus, Judas has abandoned us and he has received his reward and he's no longer a part of this ministry. He's also the same guy who's going to lead them towards this uh, praying, praying and looking to the Lord for the choosing of Matthias. Both Peter and Judas chose darkness when they were tempted. But Peter accepted forgiveness and he found the light when Jesus gave it. Our text this morning is really pretty simple. And I think the way the Holy Spirit moved upon this writer was to give us this narration where you begin with the falling away, but you end with the stepping up of this one that has been ordained and called by God and prepared for this moment. Now here's the thing about falling away. We fall away, well, most people don't just wake up and decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn away from Jesus. Most people don't wake up and just decide, hey, I'm I'm just going to turn my back from Jesus. That's not what they do. What happens is sin begins to get a stranglehold on them. And sin gets a stranglehold on us, and as it holds on and grips on, if sin has that, more and more it chokes the life out of us, and our vision is blurred, and we we can't see Jesus. It's kind of like a a, a real stranglehold. In fact, to help some of you sleepers wake up today, i got two volunteers. So come on, Brayden, come on, Matthew, come up here. All right, what happens when you get a real stranglehold? Stranglehold. All right, come on up. All right. Now we decided. We decided this morning that uh, Matthew looks a little stockier and more muscular than Braden, so Brayden, unfortunately has to be our sacrificial lamb. All right. I'm really weak anyway, so it's it's perfect. Now we didn't sign. We didn't sign the release forms, but in front of the deacons, you're not going to sue us if he hurts you, right? Nope. Nope. All right. Everybody heard it. All right. So a real stranglehold. Show what happens with a real stranglehold. Down he, there you go. Good job. See, he took the air out. He took the air out and down he goes, but your pastor, your pastor did his research, and don't I look like a guy that probably knows karate and jiu-jitsu and stuff? Don't I look like that? No? Did you say yes, Austin? Oh, uh, you're great, man. All right, so I got on the internet, and I was thinking about how sin strangleholds us, and I thought that's what sin does. Sin gets us by the neck, and it takes, or it, it, it grips us and as it grips us, we lose our air and we lose our oxygen and we can't see. And eventually we fall down. We just literally fall away because of a real stranglehold. But I got online and I, I looked up jujitsu jitsu and I looked up stranglehold because, you know, jiu is all about somebody does something, you do something else to blunt it. And I thought there's got to be a way somebody puts a stranglehold on you for even guys built like me and Brayden to get out of it, for us to escape. So let's just imagine the stranglehold. So go back here and let's, let's make this realistic here. So Brayden's just, just walking down the street, mind his business. This evil guy comes up, gets him in a stranglehold. What do you do, Brayden? There you go. Did you see the keep doing slow motion? Show him how to do the hand. So you get, you get the stranglehold, arm goes up, turn quickly. That's what it's said to do. That's how you get up. Good job. Everybody get Brayden a great hand. Good job. All right, so, so it, it supposedly in the picture of jiu that I looked up is a big muscular guy and a little weak guy like me, and supposedly if they get you by the stranglehold, and you, as soon as that happens, you throw the arm up and turn, you're supposed to be able to break free. But there was one big caveat in the little, little online thing I read, one big caveat. And it said that if you are attacked and somebody grabs you by the neck, you better very fast, very quickly, immediately throw the arm up and turn. Because if you wait even two or three seconds By that point, the stranglehold is taking the oxygen out and you are losing the strength to be able to do the maneuver and to get free. So it's very clear in the little online thing, you better, if you're going to do this act, you better very, very quickly when it's happening, you better respond very, very fast. Can I tell you today that spiritually, when we allow sin to grab a hold of us, if we do not then turn to Jesus and seek that forgiveness and seek that repentance, that sin will choke the life out of you. And just like Braden in that silly little mental exercise, you will go right to the mat and you will go right to the ground because sin will choke and choke and choke. And some of you today, sin is choking. And there is an antidote, there is an answer, there is an overcomer. And it's not you. That's where the analogy falls apart. It's not you who gets to throw the arm up and make the turn. It is Jesus who comes in and says, I can forgive you, and I can help you get away from this sin that has a hold on your life. If you are glad for Jesus, say amen. And so Judas, whatever happens with Judas, and there's some indication of the gospel, when you read them, we see a little bit of what's going on with Judas. We get a little bit of some of the way that his mind is working. At some point, this sin, whether, whatever he meant it for, whatever his purposes were, somehow sin got a hold of Judas, and he no longer was following Jesus and being obedient to Jesus. But Judas had developed his own ideas and his own plans and his own purposes, and it destroyed him, and he fell away. We saw the teenagers on screen today, excited for the Lord, excited about what God is doing. The truth is, guys, if you don't stay close to Jesus, and when sin gets a hold of you, if you don't step up and turn to him and allow him to minister to you, Believe me, 10 years from now, that video will be a lot less because some of you, you won't be like you just wake up one day and say, I don't want to serve Jesus anymore. It'll be the effects of life and sin and worry and mistakes and as sin just overcomes you, you will slowly fall away from what God has for you. So we see in our text really two things today. We see Judas who falls away. And I imagine when Peter started this story, Talk, this sermon, whatever this is that we want to call what Peter is doing, I imagine there were some among that 120 that the minute he started talking about Judas, their hearts were overcome with grief. And their hearts were overcome with worry. And their hearts were just, just, just really saddened by what happened. What's amazing what Peter does is Peter turns from Judas and he says, This is the way it is. But just because Judas has fallen away doesn't mean that God is dead, doesn't mean God's plan is dead doesn't mean God's God's commission for us is done. It just means that it's time to pray and to seek his will and to allow him to show us who is the next one that is going to step up so we can continue this calling that we have. And who is that one? That one is Matthias. And did you notice what the qualifications were? There's a qualification, right? The early 12 had been separated. They'd been commissioned. One has fallen away. But they step up and they say, hey, there's still a purpose. There's still a calling. Look, look back at verse 21 and 22 again. Look at it real quick, all right? The way it says, wherefore of these men, so Peter says, out of these that are right here with us, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto the same day that he was taken up from us, and he must be one Uh, Must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection? And then they, out of that group that apparently met that qualification, they say, they they say, all right, justice for Matthias, and let's pray, and let's engage in this this still kind of old testament way of making this decision about what God wants. What did the next man up? How did he have to be qualified? He had to be a witness of the resurrection. Apparently, it had to be a hand-picked follower of Jesus, somebody that Jesus had called to follow him, and had to be a witness of his life message and his resurrection. So my question for you today, this isn't just a history lesson. Acts is not just a history lesson. It is history. It's wonderful history. It also has some things to teach us. And So my question for you today is, what qualifications do you need To step up and be the disciple that Jesus desires. The Bible tells us you have to be called. Not because you're worthy, but because of God's grace. 2 Timothy 1.9. If you're glad for God's grace, say amen. You say, I'm not not good enough to be called. God wouldn't call me. I don't have any talents. I don't have any abilities. Good Good for you, the call for salvation, to be a follower of Jesus, isn't based on your abilities. It's based on God's pure grace. You must be teachable. Jesus spent a lot of time teaching. And so somebody that's going to follow Jesus needs to be a teachable spirit, a teachable person. You need to be kingdom focused. Luke chapter 8 makes that abundantly clear. If you're going to step up for Jesus. You're going to step up into the calling that he has for you. Your mindset, your life has to be driven by the, the values of the kingdom of God and what God is about. You must be a servant. You continue to read Luke's gospel. You get to Luke chapter 9. It's clear that you must be a servant. Why am I dependent so heavily on Luke here? Because Luke also wrote the book of Acts. So he's telling us this is who steps up. Well, what do we, we can't be one of these twelve, but we can be a witness for the Lord, and what qualifications do we need? Luke makes it clear that you need to be a servant. Going on in Luke chapter 9, he makes it clear that you must confess Jesus as the Christ. Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 14. Make clear that once you've confessed him as Christ, you must be willing to also carry your cross and that you must count the cost of what you are doing. And then I love you get to the end of Luke. It makes it very clear that if you're going to be one that's going to step up into the gap to serve and witness and love for the Lord, you must be one who joyfully, joyfully praises God for what he has done. So I ask you today, have you been called? Has the Lord called to you, has the Holy Spirit spoken to your heart and called you to confess your sins and to embrace Jesus as your Savior? Are you teachable? Are you still trying to learn? Did you show up to church today, expecting that I'm going to learn something? I'm going to uh, learn uh, more about God and who He is? The Bible says you want to step up, you better be called, and you better be teachable. Have you seen the fallen state of the world? And when you see the sin around us, does it make you hungry for God and for His love? When you see the sin of this world, does it make you hunger for the new heavens and the new earth and what it's going to be like uh, when sin is gone? Man, if you are ready, if you are ready to experience what God has for us in heaven, say amen. So much wickedness, so much sin. Or do you hunger for that? you realize, man, this is really sad what sin has done? We're talking in Sunday school a little bit. And next next week we're having my 20th high school reunion here in Cookville. And uh, Brother Ronnie Lee, he was telling us something that he tells the kids at church camp. And uh, Brother Ronnie says that he asked the kids at church camp, and this is just kind of my version of it, are you on the 80-year plan or the 40-year plan? Are you on the long-term plan or are you on the short-term plan? And Brother Ronnie asked that at kids at camp, because a lot of times kids at camp, especially if they're living for the Lord, Junior high and high school is going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult because you're living for the Lord in junior high and high school, and even on into college a little bit. Other people are going to be doing things and experiencing things, and you're going to sit there and think to yourself, "Man, it just looks like it looks like that that they're that they're having everything, that they're getting their cake and eating it too." And I'm trying to live for the Lord, and like I don't have any of that, and that's not. It's just this is just tough. And so, whether Ronnie says he tells them, "Are you on the 40-year plan or the 80-year plan?" Because When you're in high school, there's some people that it's going to look like, man, they got it all together and they're on top. And they're getting everything they want to do and all they do is sin. And it looks like, man, there's nothing for me. I'm just a Christ follower and I I got nothing. But Ronnie says, wait. Wait a little while. And watch what happens to those who engage in sin and what it begins to do to their life. And by the time you reach 40 you will reach a point where you can look back and realize those that were engaged in sin that you thought had it so good, by 40 their life is such a wreck that they don't have it good at all. But those who live for the Lord and live right early, by the time they reach 40, they've still got a lot of good time left because they have lived their way that the Lord wanted them to live. And I said in Sunday school, I said that's so true. Because I thought about you know, I played sports and I, and and I, I guess I ran with a popular group of people at Kubel High School, as part of playing ball and stuff. And uh, last night, my kids were playing flag football. It finished up, and some of my friends were there asking you go to the reunion. And we were talking, and and these two names came up. And these two guys probably had more sex than anybody else. They probably, one of them, definitely did more drugs, drank more alcohol, did everything he wanted to. The other guy wasn't quite as wild with that, but he definitely got his full, got his, got his fill of everything. And we were talking about the reunion and asking, you wonder if they'll be there. And they were star athletes, and they were, they were amazing guys. And we were them there. and the reason we were asking them to both be there is because their lives are such a wreck now, both physically, emotionally, one of them physically, emotionally, just dead end. They've hit dead ends. And we were just kind of wondering, I wonder if they'll come to the reunion because life for them as we approach 40 is so different than it was for them at 18. Because they lived it up, and they got their fill. But sin has literally strangled the life out of them, even though they're still walking around. They're still walking around, but sin has taken so much from them. My friends, if you say, hey... You say, I, I, I'm not here for the temporary, I'm here for the eternal, say amen. So while we walk here in this life, there are those that are falling away. There are those that are falling away, and some of them grew up in church, and some of them went to church camp, some of them have been preachers, some of them have been Sunday school teachers, some of them have just been your your regular lay folk, a regular mom and dad that just attended a church, and many of them, like Judas, have fallen away, and they have received their reward. But in the midst of this, the question for you is, will you be like Judas, falling away? Or like Matthias, will you be ready to step up and to fill in the gap for the calling that God has for you? That He has for all of us to be witnesses for Jesus. Then maybe you're here. Maybe you're here today and say, I want to be a Matthias. I, I want to be a Matthias. I, I want to be teachable. I've been called by God. He's given me a purpose. I, I'm hungry for His kingdom. I realize that the, the, the powers of this world are fading away. This world is falling apart, and I want something permanent and eternal, and I want God's kingdom to be what drives me, and what my focus is. You. And you say, I want that. I want that. Then I would just say to you today, purpose in your heart purpose in your heart today that i will be a matthias not a judas with god's help and his grace i will be a matthias and not a judas and for some of you today that temptation is there and maybe you need to get in an altar brother tucker sent a little video he loves that we still give altar calls here we still give people an opportunity to respond and maybe today you're falling away maybe you made a recent commitment to christ in the last year and you feel it being pulled away man you feel that pull away Today the Lord is reminding you He didn't call you to be a Judas, to fall away. He called you to, to be a Matthias, to step up into the gap for His calling and His purpose. Maybe today you say, I feel like Judas. Can I tell you something? If you're in this house today, you're not Judas yet. You're a Peter who has restoration and forgiveness available to you. You say, I've gone too far, I've done too much, I'm not living for the Lord. Today is a day for you to hear Jesus saying to you, Come, come and be forgiven. Will you fall away like Judas? Will you step up like Matthias? Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to give an invitation at this time. If God has spoken to you through this message in any way and you need to respond, encourage you to come. There will be others that will pray with you. Especially today, if you have never confessed Jesus, if he's not the Lord and Savior of your life, and you're speaking to you this morning, I want to encourage you to come and commit your life to him. Give your life to him. Jesus is calling. Just like he called Peter, he's still calling to you today. Today is the day of salvation. Dear Lord, be with us now. Be with this group. Lord, I ask that you would minister. And speak through this message. Lord, allow this word to touch people. Lord, may you get all the glory and all the fame through what is done here. Lord, prepare our hearts to be Matthias's who are ready to step up, not Judas's who are falling away. But we ask this in Jesus' name today. Amen. Let's see, so what number? You sing today. If you need to come, you come. Two hundred fifty one Jesus is Timber. calling to you, especially if you're a Peter, he's calling you today, forgiveness is there, it's available today, Jesus is calling, is tenderly calling today, calling away or stepping up. more verse. This is your time, your opportunity. Next man up, philosophy of the early church, it's got to be your outlook as well, that when the opportunity that God gives you presents itself, that you are ready to step up into that gap to be who it is and what it is that God desires and wants for you to be. Let's continue to pray uh, for Brother Gary Holman, continue to pray for Brother uh, Jack Taylor, Uh, remember him as well. We have some other folks that are sick.